Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I'm the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Welcome, friends in Christ. It's great to be back with you today at the Christian Classical Corner and all of our KKVV family. I'm Margaret Douglas, and the Good Shepherd School Project is a ministry of Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church, and we're talking about the true discipling education for our sons and daughters so that we can raise saints and martyrs to the glory of God. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about what Christian classical education is, how it works, and why we would want to teach that way. As a people freed by Christ's love and sacrifice from the bondage of sin and death, we must be trained to order the true, good, and beautiful that God has given in ways to serve Him and serve our neighbors. We can do that with our children by teaching them to love the true, the good, and the beautiful. We accomplish that by teaching the classical liberal arts, those tools for learning and thinking, and through the great books. Now, we talked about those liberal arts, the trivium, which consists of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and the quadrivium, which consists of all the mathematical arts, like arithmetic and geometry on the pure theoretical side, and music and astronomy on the applied side. Some might lump physics in with that today, too. But the point of all of these arts, arts being the term used throughout the ages for what we might today call skills, is to train the brain for higher thinking so that it's ready to accomplish higher service. And we emphasize the fact that this traditionally has been the education of a free people, particularly people freed from their own, as Dr. Deneen of Notre Dame put it, from their own tyrannical, insatiable desires. A focus on nothing but money-making and work in education was the education of serfs and slaves. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, <laughs> that is not appropriate for a people freed in Christ Jesus. He has more for us, so we should demand more of ourselves and our children. It sounds great, right? To be sure. But I know some of you out there are sitting there thinking, she is just making stuff up. The heck is a trivium? I'm an educated human being. I have never heard of that in my life. What is she talking about? Yeah, I, I really can't blame you. That was pretty much how I felt when I first heard about that term. The what? What well, is a real term? Not joking. It's been around for a long, long time. The problem is it and many other of the ideas behind classical education have kind of been MIA, missing in action, for quite some time. We might even say that they have been lost. In fact, back in the 1940s, author Dor Dorothy Sayers did say that they were lost. Now, Sayers was a popular author and lecturer in England in the 1940s, and some of you might know who she is if you're a mystery fan. They're a lot of fun. But back in about 1947, she gave a lecture entitled The Lost Tools of Learning, where she outlined her ideals about what we've lost, 
what that's costing society, and what we could possibly do to restore it. In 1948, her lecture was then published as an essay. And it's an essay that's considered to be one of the most important in the classical revival movement that's happening today. Now, hold on, Douglas. I can hear you saying it. What do you mean Sayers was saying this in the 1940s? Wasn't that back before the world went insane, as we joked last time? I mean, the mature adults of the 1940s were my grandparents. And brothers and sisters, I am no spring chicken. So we are looking at a problem that's been around long before any of our lifetimes. Remember what I mentioned last program, that progressive education had begun around 1850? I know that we like to think that our problems are really modern ones, but they're not quite as modern as we think they are. But also remember that the era that we're talking about here, the 1940s, the late 1940s, Sayers was speaking and writing shortly after the end of World War II. People, and particularly in England and Europe, they were seeing things that they could not believe that they'd seen, atrocities unimagined before. Sayers credited this, at least partly, to having not had proper education. Listen to this lament. Has it ever struck you as odd or unfortunate that today, when the proportion of literacy is higher than it has ever been, people should have become susceptible to the influence of advertisement and mass propaganda to an extent hitherto unheard of and unimagined? And we can see it today, can't we, brothers and sisters? I mean, from irrational panic to irrational dismissal of basic scientific facts to worldviews like atheistic nihilism that have no basis in either reality or revelation, we see people believing things that no rational people should believe. Sayers went on, describing the problem in more detail. Now, as I read this, again, remember, this is the 1940s that she wrote this. Listen closely. You'll see that, really, the more things have changed, the more they stay the same. Do you put this down to mere mechanical fact that the press and the radio and so on have made propaganda much easier to distribute over a wide area? Or do you sometimes have an uneasy suspicion that the product of modern educational methods is less good than he or she might be at disentangling fact from opinion and the proven from the plausible. Have you ever, in listening to a debate among adult and presumably responsible people, been fretted by the extraordinary inability of the average debater to speak to the question or to meet and refute the arguments of the speaker on the other side? Friends, I read that and all I could think of was the internet today. But Sayers goes on. Have you ever followed a discussion in the newspapers or elsewhere and noticed how frequently writers fail to define the terms they use? Or how often, if one man does define his terms, another will assume in his reply that he was using the terms in precisely the opposite sense to that in which he has already defined them? 
Have you ever been faintly troubled by the amount of slipshod syntax going about? And if so, are you troubled because it is inelegant or because it may lead to dangerous misunderstanding? Do you ever find that young people, when they have left school, not only forget most of what they have learnt, but forget also, or betray that they have never really known, how to tackle a new subject for themselves? Are you often bothered by coming across grown-up men and women who seem unable to distinguish between a book that is sound, scholarly, and properly documented, and one that is, to any trained eye, very conspicuously none of these things? Dear friends in Christ, if this stuff was troubling for Sayers in her day, it's multiple times as troubling to us today. Add to the fact that, at least in Sayers' day, most people had a basic understanding of the Bible and a basic biblical worldview. But today, most American students have no real study of the Bible, even as literature to understand their own culture, let alone as the true revelation that it is. If people were barely educated in a manner that left them able to cope with common life back in the 1940s, we are completely uneducated to do so now. And the deep and abiding question is why? We have as a society devoted a massive amount of time, talent, and treasure towards the education of our children. I don't know about you. I know a lot of public school teachers right even here in Clark County. And by and large, they're kind, honorable folk who want the best for their students. We have more technology at our fingertips than any previous generation could have believed. And yet we are still failing at forming up morally good, intellectually rational human beings who have the highest thinking skills to resist the kind of mass propaganda that Sayer saw in her time and that we're often seeing in ours. Why? Well, of course, part of the problem is a deep human failing that St. Paul describes in Romans 1. For although they knew God, he begins with verse 21, <clears throat> they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And if St. Paul were writing today, he'd probably add computers in there. Continuing with verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, for the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who's blessed forever. Let's hear that again. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Beloved in Christ, we have a society that thinks it's wise, but has become full of fools. And part of the reason is that for several generations, we've been literally teaching them to be fools. So how do we stop teaching them as fools? Sayers had an answer to that. We need to reclaim the lost tools of learning. Now, as I mentioned last time, we need to 
go to the past in order to be better prepared, not only for the future, but really for the present as well, because the future keeps moving into the present. Sayers agreed with that idea, basically, that we've got to go back to go forward. She wrote, for they amount to this, that if we are to produce a society of educated people fitted to preserve their intellectual freedom and the complex pressures of our modern society, we must turn back the wheel of progress some four or five hundred years. Say what? Several centuries? Yeah, that's what she said. No, she wasn't trying to get us to give up antibiotics and running water. But she was looking for the structures that were in place when we were still training for virtue, trying to get over our own, what did Dr. Deneen at Notre Dame call them? Our own tyrannical and insatiable desires. What we needed were the structures of education when we were still educating people to conform to truth rather than just letting those tyrannical desires run amok. And what she really meant was we need to get back to where things were before we began with these ideas of progressive education. Remember last time I mentioned that these progressive ideals were beginning to take shape in the mid-19th century. A formal education of the whole population was becoming a thing. And remember, brothers and sisters, public school as we know it today, yeah, that whole concept is really less than a century and a half old. When we began the process of mass education, we were driven, as is so often the case in the late 19th and early 20th century and continuing to today, be as efficient as possible. We began dividing knowledge into subjects. Sayers railed against subjects. She wrote, Do you often come across people for whom all their lives a subject remains a subject? divided by watertight bulkheads from all other subjects, so that they experience very great difficulty in making an immediate mental connection between, let us say, algebra and detective fiction, sewage disposal and the price of salmon, or more generally, between such spheres of knowledge as philosophy and economics, chemistry and art. A little later in the essay, Sayers argues, Is not the great defect of our education today, a defect traceable through all the disquieting symptoms of trouble that I have mentioned, that although we often succeed in teaching our pupils subjects, we fail lamentably on the whole in teaching them how to think. They learn everything except the art of learning. And later on still, she wrote, To learn six subjects without remembering how they were learnt does nothing to ease the approach to a seventh. To have learnt and remembered the art of learning makes the approach to every subject an open door. Sayers did not like the fact that students today never seem to be led to make any logical connections between branches of knowledge. And of course, if your whole life is led by keeping all these subjects apart, you're not likely to make those connections, are you? Worse, if your whole life is led by keeping your spiritual life as one subject, something that you do when you go to church or you're talking to your Christian friends, and your intellectual life is another subject, something you do at school, you're bound to never understand those as two integrated realities. 
Are we really surprised when teens and young adults then leave the church that they seem to be so active in when they were young? Or when they are captivated by the first integrated philosophy that they do encounter after leaving school, even if it's utter nonsense? Sayer saw a remedy in the medieval system of education. That's where she found all those strange words. She wrote, The syllabus was divided into two parts, the trivium and the quadrivium. See, I told you I wasn't making it up. The second part, that quadrivium, she set aside for the moment. But she writes, The interesting thing for us is the composition of the trivium, which preceded the quadrivium and was the was the primar- yeah, preliminary discipline for it. It consisted of three parts, grammar, dialectic, or what we'd call logic today, and rhetoric in that order. Now, the first thing we notice is that two of these subjects are not what we should call subjects at all. They are only methods of dealing with subjects. So Sayers was concerned that unless we got the order right, the basic foundational knowledge acquired in the grammar stage, then the logic of how it all fits together at the dialectal stage, followed by the ability to make sense of it, have one's own ideas about it, and communicate those ideas to others at the rhetoric stage. You notice that we often get this terribly backwards in modern education, right? I mean, how many times are we worried about young children expressing themselves and giving their opinions before we've even taught them any basics to have opinions about? And how many schools even teach logic? Not even informally, let alone formally. It's no wonder the internet is full of incredibly poor arguments that usually just collapse into insults or ad hominem attacks, as we might say in logic. Practically no one has been taught to do otherwise. Remember how earlier I was citing Romans? Well, lots of people find it to be one of Paul's hardest letters. This is because it's structured in logical argument. Most people have not been taught to follow along. Similarly, a lot of the early church fathers wrote in very structured arguments. If we want our children to understand the Bible in the early church, we need to be teaching them logic. Now, Sayers wasn't proposing that we teach no subjects and only do these tools, and it would be all good. But she favored a very integrated approach to knowledge, recognizing its interconnectedness and using the tools to make sense of how to learn it properly. For her, she wrote, the great difference of emphasis between two conceptions holds good. Modern education concentrates on teaching subjects, leaving the method of thinking, arguing, and expressing one's conclusions to be picked up by the scholar as he goes along. Medieval education concentrated on first forging and learning to handle the tools of learning, using whatever subject came handy as a piece of material on which to doodle until the use of the tool became second nature. So classical education is designed to integrate knowledge and emphasize how we learn things. While modern education breaks things down and each thing is learned for its own sake without much interconnectedness or logic to it. Classical education uses hard subjects, things like foreign languages with declensions, formal logic, higher mathematics, as ways to train up the brain for doing deeper thinking as the student goes along. 
modern education, if it approaches these subjects at all, tends to use them as tools to weed out students who don't pick them up quickly, thus creating an elite. And in our society today, where the spiritual is separated out from every other realm, it tends to be an atheistic or humanistic elite, not well disposed to taking care of Christians. And Sayers was adamant that students needed a theological education because, as she put it, theology is the mistress science without which the whole educational structure will necessarily lack its final synthesis. Those who disagree about this will remain content to leave their pupils' education still full of loose ends. Sayers insisted on this because all this education needs the theological framework for the, as she put it, making sense of it. Even at the grammar stage, the laying of foundations, and here we're basically talking about children ages 6 to 9 or 10. She thought children should know well Quote, the story of God and man in outline, that is, the Old and New Testaments, presented as parts of a single narrative of creation, rebellion, and redemption, and also with the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. That's some pretty serious theological stuff for young children. Quaint Sunday school stories were not going to do it. Sayers wanted a real theological education, even for the young, because that would be built upon later on. And that's how we train children up for virtue. That's how we train them to be morally sound people. That's how all the other knowledge that we have makes sense when we are trained to see it as best humans can through the eyes of God. Ultimately, the goal was to help form up morally sound, intellectually well-trained individuals who know his, his own worldview, who could adequately ward off the nonsense. St. Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about putting on our full armor of God. Well, Sayers also wanted us in full intellectual armor. She wrote, For we let our young men and women go unarmed in a day when armor was never so necessary. By teaching them all to read, we've left them at the mercy of the printed word. By the invention of film and radio, we have made certain that no aversion to reading shall secure shall secure them from the incessant battery of words, words, words. They do not know what the words mean. They do not know how to ward them off or to blunt their edges or fling them back. They are prey to words in their emotions instead of being the masters of them in their intellects. And dear brothers and sisters, if that was true in Sayers' day, it's even more true today. We are not only bombarding our children with words, we're bombarding them with sounds and videos. We're bombarding them 24-7. The internet never sleeps. So we need to make sure that our children are both intellectually and spiritually trained up to handle it. And it really can be said to come down to what kind of an approach we're taking with our children. The answers of our school systems today always seem to be more time, more money, more technology, more testing. I don't really think that helps correct things. Sayers saw the same thing in her day. She wrote, We dole out lip service to the importance of education, lip service and just occasionally a little grant of money. We postpone the school leaving age and plan to build bigger and better schools. The teachers slave conscientiously in and out of school hours. And yet, as I believe, all this devoted effort is largely frustrated because we have lost the tools of learning 
and in their absence we can only make a botched and piecemeal job of it. So we at the Good Shepherd School Project are trying to correct that botched and piecemeal job by offering something integrated and classical, based on this idea of structuring education around the principles of the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, foundations, interconnectedness, well-structured presentation, building up children in the fundamentals, teaching them the interconnectedness in the dialectal stage, and then teaching well-constructed publishing of their own ideas in the rhetoric stage. And we don't want to create this process simply more clever devils. That's another good expression from C.S. Lewis. That's what public schools are often doing because they cannot discuss anything moral or spiritual. And dear friends, if you think not understanding the interconnection between subjects is a problem, you cannot believe the problems you get from teaching an actual disconnect between the world and the spiritual. Or maybe you can. It's all around you in our modern life. Now, friends, we want to teach to God's glory. Teaching theology is the mistress science who guides us in all else. And that's the only way that we truly make sense of it. To give children a foundation so that they, as St. Peter says, always are prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's the whole purpose of education, brothers and sisters, to be ready to serve the Lord in all things. And we as educators need to focus our children on this. Be blessed, have a great week, and we'll talk more about Christian classical education. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian classical education.